Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. We've been preaching, um, encouraging you to read a book called Gentle and Lowly, written by um, a gentleman named Dane Ortland, and um, encouraging you to um, do that. We've still got some copies in the bookstore. Um, I, I'm just curious, how many of you got that book and have been reading it, Gentle and, uh, and, and Lowly? And how many of the rest of you are willing to risk your salvation? Uh, right. Um, <laughs> Honestly, um, uh, last night there were a lot of people who didn't have the book and everything, and it just struck me, oh, that's great, because for a lot of the people I could say last night, you have a real treat ahead of you. Um, so sometime, whether it's today or next week or two years from now, uh, lay your hands on that book and read it, because uh, it's just rich. And we've had so much fun um, preaching our way through it. And uh, this morning we come uh, to the end on the heart of Jesus, discovering together what the scriptures say about the heart of our Savior. So if you're um, able and willing, why don't you stand? I'm going to read first from uh, Romans chapter 5 and then from 1 John um, chapter 4. And I'm kind of uh, busting in right into a passage here in uh, Romans 5, but we'll explain it, salient parts of it um, as we go forward. So Romans chapter 5 starting at the fifth verse. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Verse eight again, but God shows his love for us. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then I'm reading from 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen. Jesus, you've promised the Holy Spirit to be an internal witness inside of us, to convince us, preach to us, to sing to us, 
to shout to us, to whisper inside of us that we have a father, we have an older brother that love us. Lord, send your spirit in the midst of Seven Rivers Church this Lord's Day morning to do that grand work. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Please. So it's Valentine's Day, so enjoy. It means that you hang out together and play together without anyone. My big brother, he gave his girlfriend a picture of our dog. You don't play, but you do hang out with each other. And That's what dinner. I said. And eat dinner. That's what I said. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Cheeky little devil, he say the same thing. Oh, kiss. Well, look, they don't kiss all the time. Like, go for dinner. Or like, like dinner lunch. or lunch. Or breakfast. You can go for breakfast. Yeah. Spend lots of money. Spend up. Because then they will never split up with you. And that's why you need secret money. What's that kid about three years old and he's already thinking of a he's already thinking of a prenup, right? <laughs> Spend lots of money, but you know, keep some in a separate bank account. Yeah. Cheeky little devil. Um all right, here's another one, a little more serious. Tell me you love me. Tell me you miss me. Tell me that 40 is just a number. <laughs> Tell me we'll grow old together. In sickness and in health. Tell me I can do it. Tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me I'm yours. That's all I want to hear. That's all I need. A little hard to hear, but you could hear uh, the longing that people express. Everybody craves love, and even that, that, uh, that little video, tell me you love me. Tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me you would choose me again. Tell me I'm the one. Tell me. I gotta hear it. I've gotta be reminded. I'm not ashamed, sometimes I ask Diane to tell me. Tell me you love me, not because she fails to show it in a thousand ways, but because I need help believing what seems so hard to believe. And besides, whoever gets tired of hearing it, right? Whoever gets tired of hearing that they're loved. We know that a parent's love is absolutely vital for the health and well-being and future of a child. One wasn't even a Christian, one just child psychologist said there's one thing a child needs to thrive in this world, they need somebody who's crazy about them. Somebody who's crazy about them. Children crave to be loved, don't you know it? How long does it take a newborn to begin to manipulate the parents, right? They, they learn that fast. And they can cry at the right time and in the right ways because they're saying what? Pick me up, pick me up, hold me close. I've got to, I want that, I want that um, nurture. 
To be sure of a spouse's love is, you know, is, is vital. I mean, a love that will endure through you know, hell or high water to sustain a marriage for a long, long, long time, right? But I gotta tell you something on this day that Valentine's Day love and the best of parental love, you could have come from the best home with the best parents that the world had to offer and they will not satisfy your craving. That there is a, an emptiness in your heart, a longing for a love. We'll call it the great love. We'll call it the big love. And the Bible says, and this is love, what? Not that we love God. Maybe Christianity isn't about we love God, but about what? And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He loves us. We gotta have that love. So here's what we're gonna talk about this morning. How can you know it? How can you know that God loves you? How does God press his love into you in such a way that even the most insecure can rest in the love of God? In this church, we like to talk about the coin dropping. I like that phrase, and I realize it's a little dated because we don't use coins anymore, right? Even in vending machines, you gotta put a dollar in or you even put a credit card in a, in a vending machine. So what are coins for except for the, not even the tooth fairy, right? Now these kids get college scholarships under their pillow for a tooth, you know? So in the, in the old days when some of us were still living, um, already living, there was a thing called vending machines where you put coins in. You remember you'd want that Coke and you'd put your coins in and suddenly you'd realize that they, they, hadn't, uh, they hadn't gone all the way down. They hadn't, the machine wasn't whirring into action to give you uh, what you'd, the button you'd push to get. And so now you, have, you faced a real challenge, didn't you? Because if you got mad and you rocked that machine, the machine had just shut down. Your money's gone. There's no hope. So you had to like, pop that machine in just the right place. You've done this, haven't you? you? No, no, I'm not talking about the slot machines. I'm talking about <laughs> Coke machine. You pop it in the right place and then the what? The coin drops and you get your Coca-Cola. Well, that's my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit in this room will, he knows you, he knows how you tick, that he'll just pop you just the right way so this coin of the love of God will fall because it has the power to change you. It has the power to change the way you raise your children. It has the power to, way, to, to change the way you treat those who serve you, whether it's at the grocery store or at a restaurant, um, whether it's your mailman. It has the power to, way, to change your marriage. It has the power to change you. So Holy Spirit, pop us, right, this morning. So here we go, point one, ready to roll? How do we get to, how do we know the love of God? As we, as we understand the heart of Jesus, we understand that his love is a defiant love. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's in defiance of the norms, right? It's, it's not the way we normally understand love. It's, it's contrary. It's contrary to what we deserve, right? The, the, the response to who we are shouldn't be love. It shouldn't be mercy. It shouldn't be tenderness. This is a defiant love. It's like, I don't care what you throw at me, you're getting love. 
This is a love that's right in your face, um, love. It cannot be deterred, um, love. It's against the norm. I can give you a, 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 an example from a little different sphere. You know, um, our, our national leaders, our, our, uh, our presidents in the midst of this vaccine have said, when a vaccine gets developed, we're going to go get it so that Americans get it first. We will get every American vaccinated before we let any of that vaccine go anywhere else. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it have been awesome if somebody had the courage to say, no American will get vaccinated until the people of Honduras are vaccinated? until the people of Guatemala are vaccinated, until the people in Haiti are vaccinated. You know what? Because they don't have healthcare in their countries. And you know what? Because they don't have medicine and drugs and support and all the things. And you know what? Because we're the richest people on the earth and we always get everything first. But we're a good nation and a good people so much that we're gonna care about other people more than we care about ourselves. Now what's the problem with the national leader saying that? They won't be the national leader for very much longer, right? Um, that would be utterly unpopular, right? But I couldn't help, I was thinking about that and I thought I'd say to myself, that's the country I wanna be a citizen of, right? That sounds like the kingdom of God, right? That's the kind of people I'd wanna, um, it'd be like a Marshall Plan, a country that would embrace actually building up your enemies over yourself. See what I mean? That's something that's so completely against the norm that it's shocking. Well, this is the love of God. It's utterly defiant. Look at what Paul says three times. He says the same thing three times in the passage I read. While we were weak, at one point he says well, ungodly, Christ died. Christ died for the ungodly, verse six. What about verse eight? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we're weak, we're ungodly, we're sinners, verse 10. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. So while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, once we had begun to reform ourselves, then we received the benefit of God's love. Once we'd started down the path of correcting our errant ways, then God responded, right? Um, that's not what it says. Um, it, it, do, it doesn't say um, we were weak, but you know, once we started to go to church or we were sinners, but, but as we shaped up or we were enemies, but no, 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 we had changed our ways. We, we saw how, how foolish we were. Then, then, then Christ loved us. No, Jesus' love was utterly in defiance of what we deserved, right? Are you getting this? Utterly in defiance. While we were his enemies, love of your enemies, who loves when you're torturing them? Who responds to torture and hatred with mercy and grace? This is an astounding love. This is crazy love. Ortland says in the book, when we were running from God as fast as we could, building our own kingdoms, loving our own glory, lapping up the fraudulent pleasures of the world, repulsed by the beauty of God, and shutting up our ears at his calls to come home. It was then that the Prince of Heaven bade his adoring angels farewell. It was then that he put himself into the murderous hands of these very rebels in a divine strategy planned from eternity past to rinse muddy sinners clean and hug them into his own heart. Christ went down into death 
while we applauded. We couldn't have cared less. We were weak, sinners, enemies. On the cross, Jesus says what? Father, nail their butts to the wall when this is over. Is that what he said? Give them what they deserve. Rain down a damnation on these ungrateful. Would have been the norm, right? What does every person, what does every victim in a courtroom say in a victim statement virtually, right? No mercy, judge, no mercy. The death penalty, life in prison isn't good enough for this person who's injured me. But what does Jesus say? Father, what? It's defiant love, right in the defiance of their hatred and their hostility. Father, forgive them, love. I'm going to meet spite and hatred with mercy, love. Who does that? Simon Wiesenthal, Simon Wiesenthal was a noted Nazi hunter. He was a Polish Jew captured by the Nazis, but his, his capturing wasn't the story. I mean, there are 89 members of his family died at the hands of the Nazis, 89 relatives. In fact, he saw his own grandmother killed in the stairwell of their house by the Nazis. Now he's a prisoner, and so he's working in a hospital during the war uh, where German prisoners are, are convalescing, and um, he gets called by a nurse to a room of an SS officer who's dying the officer had requested a Jew, that a Jew be brought um, to his bedside. The man was swathed in bandages and, and barely alive, but alive enough to beg forgiveness. He told the story of how in the Ukraine he had led the massacre of 300 Jews who were crowded into a house and set on fire, and those who escaped were machine gunned, and he begged for forgiveness. He said, you're a Jew, right? And he begged for forgiveness. I'm, I'm haunted by my wrongs. I'm haunted by what I've done. I'm haunted by what I've become. I beg you to forgive me. Wiesenthal walked out of the room without a word. And you know what we would say? Good for him. Forgiveness isn't cheap, right? That's, that's, a, that's the natural response. Who would do anything different? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And Jesus' people, right? Did you see the Toyota commercial during the Super Bowl? It was uh, the best commercial, I thought, by far. It, uh, it showed a mother uh, getting a, uh, a phone call. Mrs. Long, we found the baby for you to adopt. She's in an orphanage in Siberia. But there's, there's an issue. There's a big problem. She's got a condition. Both her legs will be amputated. So this will be very hard. And, uh, and in the commercial, the mother's face lit up and with joy, yes, yes. You see, that's defiant love. Right in the face of the hardships of love, the difficulty, a whole lifetime of caring for this um, child. She says what? Yes, I embrace it. Jesus said yes. Um, a friend, I heard him tell this story just recently. He was a brand new pastor. He's preaching one Sunday night in his church. And, um, and two policemen walk in, 
come down the center aisle and they talk to uh, one of the elders of the church and he, he goes white, blood drains from his face. And they make their way out. Now he's right in the middle of his sermon, you know, wondering what, what's, uh, what this could be. And uh, he kind of brings the, something you've never experienced at Seven Rivers Church, he brings it rapidly to a close, the uh, service. And, um, and he goes down and he talks to the elder and the elder says, Drew um, got shot. Drew is a 23-year-old policeman in the church. Just been married. His wife was 21, I think. And, uh, and the elder says, you need to go to the hospital. So brand new young pastor um, went down to the hospital and there the sheriff met him and said, um, I think you should tell her. I think you should tell his wife. And he said, tell her what? That, that, tell her that he's dead. Well, that's the first he said he knew, you know, that he was, had actually died. And he said, but before you tell her, you need to go look at his body and you need to decide whether, because she's gonna ask to see the body and you gotta decide whether that's a good idea or not. So he said he went and he, he decided it wasn't a good idea. And then they brought him to, um, uh, to the widow and uh, he had to tell the widow that her husband was um, dead. And this is what he said with the very first words out of her mouth. Somebody has killed her husband, a policeman. Took his gun from him. And the first words out of her mouth were, I hope that he has a chance to experience forgiveness from God before you guys get a hold of him. I hope he has a chance to be forgiven. Who says that? Who's, whose first thought is that? It's defiant, right? Defiant love, it's Jesus love. So how do you know God loves you? Because he loved you when you hated him. He loved you in your mess then, he'll love you in your mess now. He loved you before he adopted you and nothing can unchild you, nothing, ever. You as are secure, if you are in Jesus, you are as secure now as you will be in heaven, not one bit more then than you are now because you are eternally imprisoned in the heart of Jesus. Defiant love. Got it? I'll tell you no. Had nothing to do with your goodness, that's for sure. You were his enemies. He loved you. Second, it's a love that's internalized. How do I know that God loves me? It's because God puts an internal witness inside of us to tell us it over and over again. Because God knows we're frail and he knows we're weak, right? What does Romans 5 say? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us so that we might be assured of it. We might feel it. We might experience it. What does it say in Galatians 4? 
And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit into our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, that we would have the right to refer to eternal God, the creator of the universe, as Dad, 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 Daddy. Only the Holy Spirit enables that. What does it say in Romans 8? It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. The most unbelievable thing that we, of all people, are the children of God. The Holy Spirit takes what we have heard, right? If you went to the church since you were born, your parents walked into church with you the first week or two of your life, what's the first thing you heard? What's every child's first memory verse? For God so what? Loved the world. He loved the world. What's the first song you learn as a child? Jesus loves me, this I know. Well, the Holy Spirit takes what we've heard, it takes what we sing, it takes what we believe, and it moves it from doctrine into our personal experience. It's one thing as a child for people to tell you, your dad loves you, your father, I'm talking about your earthly father, your earthly father, he loves you, he's proud of you. It's one thing to hear other people tell you that, it's another thing to have your daddy sweep you up in his arms, wrestle with you on the floor, smile into your um, face, express his um, joy and happiness over you. You know, um, Tom Brady, um, when they won playoff game at Green Bay, sorry James for the post-traumatic stress, um, but there was a much shown clip of uh, here you win a playoff game to go to the Super Bowl in Lambeau um, uh, Stadium, an epic place. And his first thought was almost immediately after the game was he made a beeline for the stands crying out, where's my son? Where's my son? Send my son down here. I want to share this with my son. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it's one thing. Now, hey, you know, your dad's proud of you. You know, your dad, he really... Uh, thinks a lot of you. No, 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 but to experience his arms, to experience his joy, right? I believed, I'm speaking to myself, in the love of God a long time before I experienced it. I believed in it. I preached about it. It was true. I knew it was true. I believed it. It was true, but that was a long time before I experienced it. The coin has to drop. Um, one thing to say, you know, God loves me. Listen, I've been singing this my whole life. Jesus loves me, this I know. God's for me, he loves me. God's, um, you know, but to, to believe that God would say to me what he said to Jesus at Jesus' baptism, the skies opened up and, and, and the voice was heard from the heavens say, this is my what? This is my beloved son, but it's the next phrase, in whom I am what? You see, I can believe that God could say, I love you because you're so pitiful, you're so needy, somebody needs to love you, right? And you're also awful and you're worthless and you're this, but that's what I do, that's what I do. I take care of orphans, I take care of the broken. So this is my son, I adopted him, he's mine. I could get that part, but in whom I am what? How could God be pleased with me? How could God honestly say to me, this is my son in whom I take the greatest pleasure. I get the biggest kick out of this kid. How could God say that to me? How could he honestly say that to me? Through the imputed righteousness of Christ, that's how. Because I'm covered with the righteousness of Christ, so he really does. Because he loves Jesus, he's crazy about me. 
You know what I mean? You, you, can, you can believe things are true, but not have really experienced it. You know, you can believe that Publix Premium Chocolate Trinity ice cream was just next level, uber level. Publix Premium Chocolate Trinity ice cream, have you had it? What are you waiting for? Why are you even still sitting here? Publix is open. Publix Chocolate Trinity, Publix Premium Chocolate Trinity ice cream. Guys, if you didn't get a Valentine's present, if she opens your gift and looks at you like, I didn't want to shop back for Valentine's. <laughs> Get to Publix, it'll save your marriage. But you know, you can look at it, you can hear it described, you can read the description on the carton, but not until you what? You gotta taste it, right? You can get a Viking Cruise Line brochure and it can show you a cruise through Scandinavia through the fjords of Norway and you can say, I'm, you can look at that brochure and you can say, ah, that looks awesome. But if, I wouldn't know, but I, I bet if you're cruising up that, that actual fjord and you're viewing it with your own eyes, then your mouth is hanging wide open and you can't say this is awesome because you can't say anything. See what I mean? You gotta take what's a brochure and make it reality. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why he's given to us. There's a pastor and his family were in St. Louis and uh, they had three kids but they adopted another. And they noticed as they were making their way all around St. Louis and touring St. Louis and going to the Arch and going to Ted, Ted Drew's ice cream and great pizza places they have there and having a great day together. They just sort of noticed that their adopted daughter, and she wasn't newly adopted, this isn't like three months adopted, six months adopted, this is really uh, some years yet, that she always walked behind the rest of the family. And even when they'd all sort of walked together, she was a good five steps behind. And, and they kept noticing it and they kind of say, hey, come on, come on, you know, what's, and finally, um, you know, in a private moment, why do you always walk behind us? Dad asked her, why do you always walk behind us? And she said, because if I were walking ahead of you, at any moment I could turn around and you could be gone and I wouldn't know where you went. But if I stay behind you, then I know I can never lose you, right? Deep in our hearts is an orphan because we know we were separated from God. We know it. Deep in our hearts is an orphan. That girl was adopted. It was legal, but it wasn't what? Internalized. It wasn't owned. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He presses it into our hearts. So it becomes reality, real, true, comforting, unbelievable, awesome, and we can rest. You know, there's nothing like, when we have our grandchildren at our house, when the end of the day comes, it means we are utterly exhausted. And we always say, how did we do this back then? Um, but when it's time to go to bed, almost invariably my wife says to me, let's go look at them. They're sleeping in there, let's go look at them. And when you go look at them, there's nothing like it. Your heart melts. So beautiful. 
That's how God looks at you. That's how your father looks at you. That's how your older brother looks at you. That's the Holy Spirit's mission. You know, why does Seven Rivers have so many sweet people? Way sweeter than Brandon or Adam. <laughs> or, that, or that other pastor. The Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is helping so many of you believe that. I see it. It's beautiful. And last then, how do we get it? How do we know? How do we know? We're weak, we're frail. It's this incredible defiant love. It's this internalized love. We're given another helper to, to bring it home. How do we get it? It is, um, it is a finishing love. It finishes. How do we know Jesus loves us? He loves us to the end. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, I thirst. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said on the cross, it is finished. John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. He's a finisher. Remember Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer? Remember all the races where they'd say, he's not getting a gold medal in this one. He was hopelessly behind, coming right through the, the end of the last lap. And then somehow, someway, sometimes it seemed like in the last couple feet, he would get his hand to that wall before the person who was, he was a finisher, right? Athletes have to be finishers. They don't give you medals at halftime of games, do they? Well, we led in the first half. We were awesome in the first half, right? No, it's, 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 you, you, gotta, you gotta finish, right? finish. How many times did some nobody take Tiger Wood to the, to the very end of the, the, in the fourth round of the tournament? You think, this guy's going to do it. And then Woods would roll in a, uh, a winding, curving putt from 18 feet on, on the 17th or 18th green and just rip the heart out of the uh, other person. A finisher, right? Kara Tippett was a finisher. Kara Tippett is a woman, young woman, married to a pastor in Colorado in her 30s, she had cancer, and the cancer uh, eventually took her life. But her brave journey uh, and the way she ended her life was ministered to millions, including so many of us in this church. I'll never forget what she did right before she died. She, she called her husband in and she said, you are an amazing husband. You could write the book on husbanding. Being married to you has been the, the gift of a lifetime, so you marry again. You marry again. I set you free. You go and marry again because the world and some woman should not be robbed from you. Who does that? That's finishing. That's finishing well, right? Sam Miller started this church. Doctor. He was in his 60s. Talk about finishing well. If it hadn't been for Sam Miller, we wouldn't be sitting here. When everyone else is retired, Sam Miller started a church, Right? I remember when he was in his 80s, he called me one Saturday morning because we we're starting a church in Gainesville. We sent a whole team of people up there to canvas. Sam drove on his own and he was lost in Gainesville. 
83, 84 years old, is going to go knock on doors and hand him a brochure to help start the church because he was finishing. His wife, the last 10 years of her life, had Alzheimer's. She was in uh, one of the care centers in our community, and Sam went every day. Every time I was there, Sam was there, and he went to feed her ice cream every day. Finisher. Jesus is the finisher. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Jesus came to the cliff of the cross, and he jumped. He didn't change his mind. I mean, you ever get up on the high dive? It looks like so much fun. Then you walk out the end of the board and say, nah. Jesus jumped. We love up to a limit. We love until we're betrayed or ignored or lied to one too many times and we can't take it anymore. But Jesus is a finisher. He approached the end. The Bible says he knew his hour had come to depart His ministry had been exhausting, right? Physically, he was tired, he was hungry. Relationally, his friends betrayed him. He came into his own and his own received him not. His family thought he was half crazy. And publicly, he had been harassed and accused without um, stop. And yet all of this ministry hassle of his life was accomplished knowing he had his father's full favor, but now he was going to the cross knowing he would not. When we say the Apostles' Creed, we say of Jesus, he descended into hell. When? When? He said to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. So when's the going into hell? On the cross. The the cross was hell. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The horror of his father's condemnation and abandonment awaited him. What had sustained him throughout his life, his father's companionship, his father's affection, would not be there for him at the finish. What happened at the cross? Can you begin to comprehend what it meant for God to funnel the cumulative judgment of all the wickedness of God's people onto one person? What must it have been for the sum total of divine wrath to come crashing down on a single soul? What must it have been to experience the wrath of a holy God that was earned by all of God's rebellious children, now falling on one person. Dane Ortland says, I cannot believe it was the physical torture that killed Jesus. It was not the withdrawal of oxygen from his lungs that killed him, it was the withdrawal of God's love from his heart. Just the thought of God's abandonment caused him to sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just the thought of it in the garden the night before his death caused him to sweat blood. And only imagine what it was actually like to go through it. A famous theologian, B.B. Warfield, said, Jesus died on the cross of a broken heart. So this is what loving to the finish meant. He drank down the flood of filth and the centuries of sin. He loved us to the end. Jesus 
the finisher. He came up to the cliff and he walked off. Friend told me recently that he was talking to a, a Green Beret in his church, a, a veteran of the Vietnam War, and he was telling him a story about how they were in a helicopter and they were trying to get into the, the landing landing zone, but it was a hot landing zone. It was it was being fired on. In fact, there were two of the guys that had already been coptered in before were already dead, and the others were pinned down savagely. The uh, they were being overrun. That's why this. This beret was trying to get in with some reinforcements to, to save these guys. And the helicopter pilots were some of the most skilled and brave imaginable. Was, uh, was trying to get that, that, uh, that, that craft into that uh, landing zone. But the, 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 the fire they were taking was so intense that, that the, the helicopter turned and said, I can't do it, I'm pulling away, I can't put you down there because every one of you will die. And this Green Beret said he looked at that pilot and said, Put me the blankety-blank down in that zone because I've got to be with my men. We don't care if we die. That's where I gotta go. That's what Jesus said to the angels. Put me down. Put me down into that hell because I'm not coming out without my brothers and my sisters. So how do you know Jesus loves you? How could you not know his heart? How could you not? He drank the cup that you deserved. He finished it. So we're done with the series, seven weeks, the heart of Jesus. We have loved preaching on it. It's been so good for our hearts. So what do you do with it? What do you do with it? Run to Jesus. Because nothing else in this world will satisfy your heart. And if you knew his heart, you would run to him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, do your work right now. If there are people in this room who have never said yes to you, may they, may they, um, may they surrender to your drawing them right now. Lord, there are people who are run so hard from you that they don't believe you'll take them back. Convince them otherwise right now. Bid them run into your arms. Lord, there are people in this room that think they're pretty good. Think it's all's well with them. They've never really run to you. Do your work, Holy Spirit. Draw people to yourself. Hear our prayer. May it be so. If you want to run to Jesus, just, just tell him now, I'm coming, Lord Jesus. I don't even know what it means entirely to be a follower of yours. But guess what? Some of us have been followers of Jesus for 30 years and we're still learning what it means. Just run. Run to Jesus. Right now.
And if you do it on this Valentine's Day, it'll change the meaning of this day forever. And if you do it today, tell somebody. Before today's over, tell somebody. I went after Jesus today. Because for the first time, I understood the way he went after me. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you that you first loved us. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.